I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all, throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his works and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who know him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, friends. Wonderful to see you uh, here this morning. Uh, my name is Huey, if we haven't met before. And uh, it's great to see, uh, yeah, uh, many people from our church uh, slowly finding their way back uh, after holidays in, in January. And uh, great that we can uh, gather like that, like this uh, this morning. Um, please keep uh, Psalm 145 open in front of you, uh, and let me lead us in prayer that God will help us to understand uh, this part of his word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the great um, joy and privilege it is to be your people and to gather like this uh, so that we might hear your voice and uh, examine our lives in the light of the things that you have to say. Uh, Father, we pray that as we look at this psalm together, uh, that you would help us not to harden our hearts, uh, as we read in, in the first psalm this morning, uh, but that we might um, respond to you with faith and repentance and uh, live our lives to the praise of your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, have you ever been asked to do something that sounds impossible? Uh, have you ever been asked to do something that sounds impossible. Uh, many years ago, 
uh, I was asked to lead the singing at church. And uh, uh, for those of you who, who know me, uh, you'll know that that will sound like an impossible task because uh, I'm, I'm really bad at singing. Uh, but because there was no one else to do it at the time, uh, I said I'd give it a go. And I tell you, uh, it was a complete disaster. Uh, no one in the congregation said they felt encouraged. And uh, I walked away <laughs> feeling very discouraged as well. Uh, perhaps you've been asked to do something that sounds impossible in your life as well. Uh, perhaps you've been asked to do something in the workplace within an impossible timeline. Has anyone had that happen? Uh, perhaps you've been asked to do an impossibly difficult assignment at school for those of us who are still at school. Uh, perhaps you've taken it upon yourself to do something that just seems too hard. Well, I want to suggest that sometimes we may feel this way when we are encouraged to praise God. Is that true? Uh, have you ever had the experience of uh, someone out the front encouraging you to praise God with great enthusiasm, but not being able to do so? Have you ever been asked by a song leader uh, at church or a minister uh, or someone who's, who's leading out the front to sing loudly with great uh, gusto and with all your heart, but finding that you just can't do it? Uh, all you can muster is some half-hearted praise and you end up feeling like a bit of a failure when it comes to praising God. Have you ever had that sort of experience? How is it that we can grow in our praise of God when sometimes it, sound, it, it feels so impossible to do? Uh, now, we've been looking at the Psalms over the school holidays. Uh, in particular, we've been looking at book five of the Psalms, which is uh, the final sort of cluster of Psalms uh, towards the end of the book of Psalms. And uh, I want you to notice that um, the final Psalms in book five uh, are really psalms of praise. Uh, in fact, uh, Psalms 146 to 150, just turn uh, to uh, 146 and flick your way through to 150, uh, which is the final psalm. Um, those psalms are often called the hallelujah psalms because you'll notice that they all begin with the words, praise the Lord, uh, which is what hallelujah means. Uh, now, Psalm 145, which we're looking at this morning, uh, comes just before the Hallelujah Psalms, but is also a praise psalm. You can see it in the heading to the psalm, can't you? That it's, it's a psalm of praise. But it's a little bit different to the Hallelujah Psalms because uh, in this psalm, an individual psalmist declares a deep commitment to praise God as his king. Uh, you can see it there in verse 1, can't you? Have a look with me at verse 1. Verse 1, the psalmist says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Uh, notice that this is a, a personal commitment to praise God with all his strength. I will extol you. I will bless you. I will praise you, he says. It's a commitment to praise God with great regularity. 
Every day I will praise you, he says. It's a commitment to praise God without ceasing. I will praise you forever and ever, he says. Uh, now, friends, I think it's easy when we come to passages like this in the Bible to just kind of casually nod our heads in agreement, don't you think? Uh, we can say, of course, our praise of God should be with energy. Of course, it should be regular. Of course, it should be without ceasing. But I want to suggest that it's very hard to read Psalms like this with any integrity and think that we can do what this psalmist is committed to doing, don't you think? I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, so often my praise of God is very half-hearted. Is that the same with you? Um, often when I get up out of bed, um, I'm grumpy <laughs> rather than praising God. And what does it even mean for someone like me to praise God forever and ever and ever when I have difficulty simply, simply remembering God and to praise him during the day? How is it that I can praise God like this psalmist? with great energy, with great regularity, and in an unceasing fashion. I mean, it sounds like such an impossible task, doesn't it? If we're honest. But for the moment, uh, let's come back to the psalm and notice that the psalmist gives his reasons for why he, he commits to praising God in this way. And the first reason for why he praises God You'll, you'll see there, is because of God's greatness. Uh, have a look with me at verse 3. You can see there that he says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And you can see it again if you come down with me to verse 6, where he says, I will declare your greatness. Uh, now, someone is great when they do something or achieve something that is impressive, isn't it? Uh, that's why we always have these um, endless discussions about who is the goat in a particular sport, you know, or the greatest of all time in a particular sport, don't we? Uh, some say Michael Jordan is the goat in basketball. Um, you know, others say Muhammad Ali was the goat in boxing and, and so on and so forth. It's because they have done some amazing things. And so what is great about God? Well, it's because of his great works, we're told. Uh, you can see it there explained in various ways. In verse 4, it's, it's his mighty acts. In verse 5, it's his wondrous works. In verse 6, it's his awesome deeds. Of course, uh, if you are an attentive reader of the Bible... Uh, you'll notice that these words uh, are often used in the Bible to describe God's salvation of his people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, in fact, right after God saves his people by, by bringing them out of slavery in Egypt in the Exodus, by drowning the Egyptian army in the Red Sea, uh, do you remember that Moses sings uh, a song of praise to God? And, and what does he say? Uh, Exodus 15, verse 11. You don't have to look this up, but uh, he says this. He says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, 
awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Very similar words, aren't they? Awesome deeds, doing wonders. God is great. But further, notice that the psalmist here thinks about praise, not only in terms of people telling God how great he is, but people telling other people how great God is. Uh, that's how praise works, isn't it? Uh, if I were to uh, praise uh, Matt Halani for his smooth and wonderful voice, um, I can go and tell him directly to, to him. That would be praising Matt. But equally, if I, you know, went up to you during morning tea and I say to you, oh, you know, that Matt, what a wonderful voice he has. Um, that's equally praising Matt, isn't it? And you can see uh, this horizontal praise of God in verse 4, can't you? It says there in verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Uh, some of you might know the, uh, the brand Hush Puppies. Uh, does anyone own a pair of Hush Puppy shoes here? Uh, yes, the less trendy ones. Um, yeah. But uh, it's become a, a household name, hasn't it? Hush Puppies. Uh, what you may not know, though, is that in the 90s, uh, Hush Puppy shoes uh, went almost bankrupt, out of business. But it's just that some unknown people discovered some Hush Puppies shoes in a second-hand shop, and uh, they found them to be so good that they started to tell others about them. And these people told others. And these people, in turn, told others. And soon, word started to spread about how good these shoes were, and, and everyone ended up wanting a pair. Uh, that's the kind of picture we get here, isn't it? It's people who are so convinced of God's good uh, greatness in his acts of salvation that they start to tell others about him in a way that crosses generations. Parents telling their children, the old telling the young. But also, might I add, crossing cultures as well. Uh, wouldn't it be great if our evangelism or telling other people about the mighty acts of God in Christ Jesus can be like this? Wouldn't it be great if we as a church were so convinced of the greatness of God in our hearts that we simply can't stop speaking about him and making the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus known to people around about us? Friends, I know that evangelism has been tough uh, the last few years of COVID. Um, many opportunities uh, that were there before uh, just haven't presented themselves. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we can praise God in this way? Uh, not because we are told to, not because some minister stands out the front and you know, says we must evangelize, but because we are convinced in our hearts just how great God is in his salvation. That's something to, for us to ponder and work on during the year, I think. But if we go on, uh, notice that the psalmist here praises God not only for his greatness, but also for his goodness. For um, 
if God were simply a God who is great and powerful, but not good, wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Wouldn't that be a terrifying thing to worship a God who was so great and so powerful, but who was not good to us? But here, the psalmist praises God not only because he is great, but because he is good as well. Now, you can see it there in verse 7, where the psalmist says, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. You can see it again in verse 9, where he says, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Uh, further, um, and this is uh, quite a theme in the Old Testament, but you can see there that God's goodness is most clearly seen in his character. Uh, that's why in verse 8, the psalmist repeats some very famous words in the Old Testament. He says in verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Uh, now, I want to ask you, friends, where do we see those words in the Old Testament? Uh, where do we see uh, the words, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love in the Old Testament? Turn to the person sitting next to you and see whether you can um, uh, tell each other uh, where that, that, uh, those words come from. I'll give you a moment to think about it. Okay, that's enough time. Uh, where do we see those words uh, in the Old Testament? Somebody that, that's, that's good enough. Uh, it, it comes in Exodus chapter 34. And uh, what happens in chapter 34? Well, chapter 34, uh, if you remember, is straight after the golden calf incident. And so God has just uh, rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, he's about to enter into a covenant or marriage kind of relationship with his people, but discovers them prostituting themselves by worshipping a, a golden calf. And... Uh, in, in Exodus chapter 34, he says these words to Moses because even though his people have sinned in such a great way, it would be a little bit like, you know, uh, a husband uh, on his wedding night uh, finding that his new wife uh, was in bed with another person. Uh, it would be that kind of uh, shock and horror. And yet God says to, to Moses that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, because even though his people have sinned in the most horrific way, this is a God who is going to be faithful to his promises, uh, abounding in grace and mercy and forgiving of his people. You see, friends, this is the goodness of God, isn't it? He is a God who does not treat people like you and me as we deserve. The people of Israel deserve nothing more than God's righteous anger and wrath and destruction. And yet he was faithful to them. He forgave them. And he remembered his promises to them. And if the people of Israel had every reason to praise God, then I want to ask you and me this morning, how much more reason do we have as people who have received grace and mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ to praise God with all our hearts? You and I who were once dead in our sins but made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
not because of our goodness, but because of God's boundless grace and mercy. How much more reason do we have to praise God? Hallelujah. What a saviour. Praise the Lord. Now, friends, in the next part of our psalm, notice that there is a slight change. For here, it's not only the psalmist expressing a personal commitment to praise God, rather the psalmist envisions all of creation praising God. Uh, in verse 10, he says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Uh, now, I don't know whether you've noticed, but the word all is used again and again and again in the second part of this psalm. Uh, in verse 10, uh, all your works and all your saints. Verse 13, all his words and all his works. Verse 14, all who are failing and all who are bowed down. Verse 15, all look to you. Verse 16, every living thing. Verse 17, all his ways and all his works. Uh, you see, the picture we get here is of all things in all of creation praising God for all of his wonderful works, you see. In fact, uh, you can't actually see this in your English translations, but Psalm 145 is uh, uh, what is known as an acrostic poem. Um, hands up if you know what an acrostic poem is. Yeah, one of our kids, what's an acrostic, uh, acrostic, acrostic poem? Yeah, yeah. Uh, did everyone hear that? Um, it's a poem where you have um, uh, a line of words that starts each line in the poem, and uh, that line, you know, um, is a word in itself. Um, this is an acrostic poem because every single line uh, in this psalm starts with uh, one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so every letter of the Hebrew alphabet is covered in this psalm. And so um, what the psalmist is trying to get across here is all of human language, all of the alphabet, all of the words that come out of our mouth being to the praise of God's glory for all his works. Uh, it's a very cleverly uh, constructed psalm. Now, uh, the reasons for why all things should give praise to God are very similar to what the, the psalmist has already said about his own reasons for praising God. Uh, firstly, it's because of God's greatness. Uh, but notice that the psalmist expresses God's greatness in the second part of the psalm uh, in terms of God's rule. Uh, that's why if you have a look at verse 11, for example, he speaks about the glory of your kingdom. And in verse 13, he speaks about God's everlasting kingdom and God's dominion, which endures forever. God's kingdom implies God's rule, doesn't it? But secondly, notice that the psalmist calls upon all creation to praise God for his goodness as well, which is something we've already seen. Uh, in verse 14, for example, he says that the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Now, um, friends, that's not saying that God rescues absolutely everyone in difficult circumstances. It, it can kind of sound like that, doesn't it? When we say, when, when the psalm says, the Lord upholds all who are falling, all who are bowed down. For 
It is simply not true that God rescues everyone in difficult circumstances. I mean, at present, there are people dying of famine. There are people suffering depression. There are even Christian people whose lives are in danger because of their faith. Is it true that God rescues everyone who is falling and raises up everyone who is bowed down? Well, clearly not. And so what is this psalmist speaking about here? Well, I think the clue comes at the end of verse 13, where the psalmist speaks about God's faithfulness. Do you see it there at the end of verse 13? Uh, God's faithfulness. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Uh, what, is God's what is God faithful to? Well, here, I think he's speaking about God's faithfulness to the covenant he makes with Noah. Do you remember the promise that he, he makes uh, with Noah uh, in the book of Genesis, where he gives Noah uh, a rainbow as a sign? What does he promise? Well, he, he, he promises that he will never again destroy the world with a flood. Rather, he will uphold the regular functioning of the world for the benefit of all things in creation, whether it's the righteous or the wicked, you see. Now, that's why the psalmist can say in verse 15, the eyes of all uh, looks to you to give them food in due season. Uh, that's why he can say in verse 16, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. He's not saying God rescues every single person who looks to him. He's saying that all things in this world enjoy goodness from God, whether you are part of his people or, or you're not. It's the idea of common grace. You might have heard that, that phrase being used by theologians. You see, it's not like when you go outside, uh, the, the sun, you know, shines on people like Matt Halani because, you know, God loves him. And, uh, you know, um, if you're a non-Christian, you have a cloud over your head and, and it, it starts to rain on you. No, everyone uh, enjoys God's goodness. The sun rises and shines on the righteous as well as the wicked. It's common to all. However, uh, here's the thing, friends. What the psalmist goes on to say is that there are things about God's goodness that are only enjoyed by his people. Uh, you can see it there in verse 18, can't you? The psalmist says, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Uh, do you see how God's covenant people are described here? They are described as those who call upon God in truth, rather than simply making up their own version of God. They are those who fear him, rather than simply tr treat him lightly as a plaything. They are those who love him rather than despise him. And do you see what these people enjoy? Well, they enjoy God drawing near to them. 
they enjoy deep satisfaction that God gives to them in their souls. They enjoy God listening to their prayers. And they enjoy the hope of a world without wickedness. These are the things that only God's people can enjoy. Of course, this is what we enjoy as God's people now, isn't it? We are those who have called upon God in truth by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is described as the way, the truth, and the life. We are those who fear God. We are those who love God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting here that the Bible speaks about God, God's people fearing God and loving God in, in the same breath, isn't it? Because uh, it can almost sound a bit contradictory. But the proper worship of God always involves both fear and love, you see. If you have love of God without fear, what you'll do is you'll eventually just end up treating you know, Jesus like your boyfriend kind of thing. If you have fear of God without love, then you will live in dread of God rather than enjoying him and his goodness forever. Is this the kind of God that you know? Is this the kind of response you give to God, both a, a reverence and fear, as well as a love for his love, which he showed us first? But how is it, friends, that we can praise God with strength and regularity and without ceasing? That's the question that uh, uh, we, we uh, thought about at the beginning, isn't it? It sounds like such an impossible task doesn't it? And so how is it that I can praise God in that way? Well, the short answer in this psalm is that you and I can't. <laughs> For notice that the one who praises God with great strength and regularity and in an unceasing way in this psalm is not us, but it's God's king. Uh, that's why if you have a look at the heading to this psalm again, uh, you can see that this is a psalm of David. In other words, the one who says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever is not you and me, but it is God's King. It is King David uh, in the first instance, but more profoundly, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is our David, uh, our Davidic king. It is he who and he alone who can praise God perfectly in this way. Not us, who so often, truth be told, fall short in our praise of God. But here's the thing, friends. Did you notice in this psalm, the Davidic king invites all of creation and especially his people, to join in the praise. That's why I think um, whoever put together uh, the, the, the book of Psalms has put Psalm 145 here, which is a Psalm of David, followed by the Hallelujah Psalms. Because it's as we see our king praising God with all his heart, 
that we can be encouraged to sing hallelujah uh, to the Lord and to join in with him in the praise. Uh, it's been a while since I've been to a concert. Um, I know some of you are going to the Ed Sheeran concert um, soon, but uh, the, the, the last, I, I don't go to trendy concerts like that. Um, I, the last concert I went to was an Eric Clapton concert, uh, which was fantastic. But you know, if you go to any big name concert, um, what happens? Well, uh, you'll notice that it's the star of the show that takes the microphone, isn't it? And who leads the singing from the front. That's whom everyone has come to see. But in the background, there are other people. Uh, you might have some back, back, backup singers or uh, even a choir in, in some cases to join in the singing and fill out the sound. Uh, that's a bit like what we see here, isn't it? Jesus is the one who takes the microphone and leads the praise. He's the star of the show. But in his kindness, he invites people like you and me, even people who can't sing very well, to join in the praise and to make God known in this world, to be a backing vocalist or part of his choir, if you like. A bit of a tip for people who lead singing in our church or who lead uh, from the front uh, or who are involved in teaching God's word. Um, I know that it is our desire to see our whole church praising God with great energy. And it's sometimes discouraging when we don't feel like the rest of the church is joining in, in enthusiastically praising God. Uh, is that true for some of us who, who lead? But you see, the way we encourage growth in praise is not simply by telling people to praise more enthusiastically. Uh, it's not by telling people to sing louder and with more energy. Rather, it's by pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ to explain to people just how great and how good and how wonderful he is in his works. And by praying that his spirit will work in our hearts to elicit that kind of praise that we all desire. And so uh, whether you're a song leader or a minister or someone sitting in the pews, uh, will you turn your eyes to Jesus this morning? Will you see his greatness and his goodness demonstrated so clearly in dying on the cross for sinners like you and me? And will you praise God? Praise the Lord. For you can see in the final verse of this psalm that the king himself wants you to join in the praise. He says in the final verse, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And then he invites all of you, all, all of us. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Uh, let's praise the Lord together. Uh, not only today, but with great regularity and without ceasing. Uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning, and we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is our song leader who praises you perfectly for your greatness and your, good, and your goodness. 
we thank you that he praises you with great strength and regularity and without ceasing in a way that we simply cannot do. But we also thank you, Father, that he invites us to join in the praise. Now, thank you that we have every reason to praise you because we have experienced the greatness of your works and the goodness of your ways, most clearly in the death and resurrection of your son for us. Now, Father, we pray that you would forgive us for so often praising you half-heartedly and that you would change us by your spirit to be those who praise you in the way that you deserve, uh, not only in our singing at church, but in our telling of your goodness to those around us. For we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.